0: the New York Post, ESPN Television, and more. Join us for this episode of Lifestyle Solopreneur. Hey, Lifestyle Solopreneurs. Today, we get to speak with Devo. He is a thought leader, photographer, videographer, blogger, serial entrepreneur, ex-college athlete, former corporate executive, and a single father of two promising young ladies. He's now an emerging strategy consultant and paid speaker who is fast making his way as an expert in creative digital architecture to help small businesses and entrepreneurs brand and market themselves. Welcome to the show, Devo.
1: Hey, Flavia. Thank you for having me.
0: Great to have you. So tell us a little bit about this journey because first of all, ex-college athlete, what was your sport?
1: I was a football player, American football.
0: You have, Of course. <laughs> and yeah. we have players from all over the world. So. Good to clarify that it's American football. What was your position on the team?
1: I was a middle linebacker, which is a, if you're not familiar with football, it's the defensive side of things.
0: How do you think that's influenced you as you go through life as now an entrepreneur, a speaker, doing lots of different things? Do you think that that mindset of being on the defense versus offense is is helpful to you or has guided you in business?
1: That's a good question. I don't know so much of the defense and the offense, but it's more the sports, the team sports, the idea of competition and working through a lot of my life playing organized sports and competing has had a much larger role than being offensive or defense, I would suspect. I actually did a podcast with somebody on this, on how sports plays a fundamental role in in human development, especially as solopreneurs, or entrepreneurs, business people, and and sort of the the way it shapes your delivery, your expectations, how you operate, etc.
0: Sometimes I wonder too, if people who have an athletic background and did the kind of sport where you'd have a coach find it easier in the world of business and later in life to go and get a coach, you know, to, to sort of say, I can't do this on my own. And it would be great to have somebody coach me through this process to get me to be my personal best. Cause there is kind of in business, sometimes a tendency to say, I'm going to do this on my own, you know, especially this show is called lifestyle solopreneur. There's a lot of solopreneurs out there who want to go into business for themselves and have this sort of Independent feeling where they don't want to be told how to run their business or what to do, and they don't seek out a coach. But sometimes coaching is really helpful.
1: I would say to that that's a double edged sword because you also have athletes as well as business people who are not coachable, and I think the outcome of that is based upon whether you're a coachable athlete or not. And and I know that from experience because I actually train athletes today, sort of like a, a hobby passion project I do. And some of the athletes that I train are just not coachable. They're not sponge worthy in the sense that they're willing to accept advice. They're willing to take counsel. They just feel like they have it. They've already worked it out. They have had a modicum of success. So, you know, they're only doing coaching because their parents said they needed or whatever. So I think, I think it really depends upon how coachable you are from, and that really probably goes back to your self-awareness. I don't know if that answers your question, but I think that that's how I would respond to that.
0: No, it definitely does. And so from those times when you were college athlete on the football field, how did you end up where you are today? So tell us a little bit about how you went from college athlete to what you do now.
1: Well, I think the college athletic piece of it is just a small piece of my puzzle. I don't really know that it's had a maximum amount of impact on where I am today, but I think sports in themselves have been competing since I was four years old in one way or another has had probably the larger impact. But I graduated college and I didn't really have a mentor. Uh, My parents weren't very mentor-ish. So I just took the route that I thought I was supposed to take straight out of college. I took a high paying job with a bank, not really the bank in the sense of like traditional banking, but it was owned by Bank of America. uh, And they had an offshoot division that dealt with manufactured housing and, and whatnot. And so I was recruited by the bank to take on this program. It was an executive development management program was one of two people in the whole world that were selected for the program. I participated in that in two years and then I was given an executive position back in San Diego where I oversaw a large team of project managers and technology developers to help bring this division of the company into the 21st century of technology. They were doing everything on paper and they had a mobile collections team that were just driving around houses collecting past due payments, delinquency, whatnot. And so my job was to head this division to Pioneer technology for them, giving them GPS systems, uh, technology so they could use uh, digital laptops and uh, tablet PCs and all sorts of stuff. And this is, you know, five, 600 uh, reps that I worked on and managed this project. So that's how I, that was my first foray into the business workforce. And I did that for about eight years before I kind of jumped into my entrepreneurial career.
0: And then what is it that you do today? And I love that you're. I love that your previous role was to sort of modernize, like to to bring people into the future, right? And to go from, I guess, doing everything manually and on paper. And does anyone listening? Remember what a Thomas Guide is? It's like a book of maps. And before we were able to just input an address in an app and have our phone boss us around and tell us when to turn left and turn right, we used to have to just read a map. And I don't know how... We didn't get into more accidents, I guess, because people were trying to read the map and get to where they were going at the same time. But I love that you helped modernize an industry there. So how did you shift into what you do now? And what do you do now? Because your bio is, is very broad. There's so many things. You're out there getting paid to speak. You help people with strategy. You work on a lot of the visual arts. You know, you're a photographer, videographer. You're an entrepreneur. So what, what does an average week or month in your life look like? Where are you focusing your time?
1: Before I answer that, that's funny, your your reference to the maps. I was on a cross-country road trip one time with my former wife, and this was well before GPS had even existed. And we were pulling off on the side of the road using the, the maps. And and I thought that I could provide a shortcut from California to Florida. That's where we were driving from. And... uh four three and a half four day trip ended up taking almost a week because of my map reading skills so what i am not is a uh cartographer so don't hire me to do any mapping for you or shortcuts across road trips but i do remember those days and and the it's you laugh and make fun but i just you not when i first joined the company um i was sent out into the field with these reps and this is we had offices all over the country in literally every in all 50 states And I was in in very rural areas because again, we were managing portfolios for mobile homes at the time. And so my job was to manage, work with the sales reps and the collections teams that were managing these portfolios on these mobile homes. So if you've never been to a mobile home park, you know, they traditionally exist in some rural areas, you know, like the outskirts of towns and very, very non-suburban type um, atmospheres. So I was out in the middle of nowhere, literally working with field reps. And they had maps, like traditional maps. And a lot of these people had lived in this area, so they knew the way around, but I did not. And I was using the maps that you referenced earlier to get there. So anyhow, to answer your question, so what do I do today? I left that company in roughly 2008, between 2008 and 2010. And I say that roughly because the company actually got bought out. And so everyone was laid off, but they hired me as a consultant to stay on. And I did that for an additional two years all the while, I've always been a photographer. So I've actually had a camera in my hand since I was 12 years old. And I tell stories about this. I actually stole my first camera. But I got into photography. I was just a hobbyist. I had no idea that I could make money creating content for people until after my own wedding in 2003, which um, it was a dismal production. Not the wedding. Well, wedding, I guess you could say since I'm divorced now as well as a dismal. But I'm joking. It was great. I have two beautiful kids from it. But the photography that I got was less than... Less than quality, and it, and it took like a year and a half to get the photos back from the photographer. And I spent four or five thousand dollars on this. And I would just remember thinking, this guy just charged me four thousand dollars for this type of work. There, I mean, I was at that quality of what he was producing at this level, and I'd never shot a wedding before. So, a long story short, I started working just whenever, wherever, uh, moonlighting while I was still doing the corporate stuff and just shooting photography for anyone and everyone who would who would take me. And I was wasn't charging; I was just doing it for free. But I met I met a lot of photographers in that space, and just started doing sort of soft apprenticeships with them and bugging them and asking them all sorts of questions and just kind of picking up skills wherever I could, soft skills around photography. So fast forward a couple of years, I then, when I got laid off, I actually started shooting um, small contracts for weddings and engagements and things like that, which sort of kind of catapulted me into the photography world. And then in 2010, I left the corporate world full-time and launched uh, my business, Fusion Photography, I was also doing another couple of other entrepreneurial gigs simultaneous to that. So fast forward to 2023. That's the first time I've actually said that. I now still own Fusion Photography, but I also launched another division of that in 2018, which is called Fusion Creative, which specifically focuses on branding, content creation, brand strategy, and acceleration for small businesses, solopreneurs like your audience, small businesses. And what we do is we combine the strategy piece so there's a there's an intensive brand strategy piece that starts at the outset of every engagement and then that segues into the digital marketing side which is content creation for their social media for their websites we do website design uh, a whole bevy of different digital portfolio products to help small businesses gain some traction and a foothold in today's digital ethos
0: it's amazing and what's sort of that first thing cuz people come to you and they're existing branding is kind of all levels. I'm sure there are people that come to you and they're like, we are a blank slate. We are white canvas. We are starting a new company, new brand. Please help us. But I know there's people that come to you for sort of like corrective action, right? They're like, our branding, we acknowledge is not what it should be. Please help us make this better. For the ones in that second category who come to you and they're like, please help fix us. What are some of the more common mistakes that you're seeing that the smaller businesses, the solopreneurs are making in setting up their brands?
1: I think it's a couple of things. It's a great question. Probably most importantly, most people don't really realize what true branding is. They think it's a nice logo and a pretty business card. And so at all levels of business, whether you're a seasoned professional or just getting started, I think a lot of people have a mistake around that, that their brand message is just just what they do and the business card and their logo. Couldn't be further from the truth. So one of the things that we see from everyone is that they don't really have a very clear, succinct brand message. And that brand message is that outward objective that they're trying to sell their product for and not able to connect with the right type of buyer because they're not very clear on what that brand message is. And that brand messaging is everything that your product is. It's your social media. It's what's on your website. It's what's on your business card. It's your colors of your logos. It's all of the things that your outward facing client sees, perceives and then has to understand what you do. And if you're not clear on what that message is, if you're not clear on your purpose, if you're not clear on what problems you're solving for your ideal client, and more importantly, don't know who your ideal client is, you're just sort of poking and throwing darts at a board with a blindfold on and hoping that somebody catches hold of one of those pieces of information you throw out. And so what we help them do is consolidate that, make that very clear and succinct, very purposeful, and then identify and help them Navigate through that maelstrom of figuring out who their niche product is, their niche client is, so that they're not trying to sell to everyone on the planet
0: and when you say we at some point, you grew into many, right you' a team it's no longer just you. We have a lot of solopreneurs that have a hard time growing a team, scaling, delegating there's a level of trust that the people you hire to work with you and you know even partners you take into your business are going to sort of see the same vision, stay aligned and provide the same quality of service that your customers were used to getting from you directly. So I think there is kind of a struggle and challenge with growing a company in a business to where it's a we instead of an I. And for you, at one point in your career, you were out there as the, uh, the photographer. It was just you. It was your skill. It was your quality, right? Like you said, you wanted to be better than the service you had been that you had received from your wedding. And by the way, I, I'm still a little shocked that it took a year and a half to get your wedding photos again. Crazy, right? For that. <laughs> like most marriages these days don't even last a year and a half. I mean, wouldn't <laughs> that have funny. been a, yeah. like, oh, we just signed divorce papers, but thanks for these photos, dude. Maybe <laughs> we would still be together if we'd had these nice memories earlier. That's really um, funny. <laughs> but you, you've grown into this company. What can you say to help solopreneurs out there who are at the cusp of that kind of growth?
1: Well, I don't think everybody wants to become an agency or everybody wants to become a we. I think you have to be very clear on that. I think for me, branching out into the we world, the plural was we were taking on a lot of different businesses and I just I was getting buried. And because of the diversity of the portfolio that we offer in the products that we sell, I chose the route of sort of staying in my lane. And hiring people who are really good at what they do so that I could focus on business development and connecting and like the big picture of the company and let people do what people do best. So I think it's really the first piece of that is to sort of understand your value and what you bring to the table as the CEO of your company. And if there's people that can do what you do, encompassing all the different pieces, and the variables of your brand, if there are other people who can do those things better... I would suggest finding those people and there's lots of ways to do it. You don't have to go out and hire somebody right away. You can use Upwork or contract labor and that sort of stuff and just keep them on as contractors as long as you have strong written agreements around that and then enable them to do the things that they do and you just hold them accountable for that so that you can focus on the things that you do best as well. And then what happens is when you have different people that are really in you, if you allow those people to really grow and self-nurture and sort of kind of take on that role and responsibility, most people become very vested in that and then helping you grow your product. Because if if they're growing, you're growing. And if you're growing, they're growing. So you have to find people who can buy into that sort of symbiosis, if you will, and and not everybody not is capable of doing that. I think what I see most often, and I was guilty of that, as I sort of got it my own way because I was trying to micromanage things, and you know I had been the solopreneur all my career, so I was like, "There's nobody who does it better than me." Type of attitude, and I couldn't have been further from the truth on that. And so, until I sort of had that self awareness around what I was best at and enabling other people to do what they're best at, I wasn't able to make that stride from the me as the solo to the we as an agency.
0: And you, you still do a lot in your business, so you. You're still in there, you know, in the day to day. What is your favorite aspect of what you do? Like of all the things on your to-do list every day, what's the one that gives you like the most joy and that you get most excited to tackle next?
1: There's two pieces of that. There's working with clients in the brand discovery process and seeing the light bulb go off when you finally touch on that heartstring of, of what it is that they... Always knew they were trying to accomplish with their business, but couldn't quite figure it out or put it into words or, or get it out on a strategy map. And then when they see that, and you literally can see the light bulb go off um, metaphorically, it, it's, it's really heartwarming for me to sort of know that I'm making a difference in, in someone else's life to help them grow their business. Like that's, I think that's my true calling, my superpower is to help other people find their superpower. And then the other piece of it is the content creation side of it. At the core of it, I'm an artist. I'm a, I'm a businessman and an artist simultaneously, but my art sort of has the emotional bandwidth of my heart and being able to work with clients, whether it's taking photographs or creating videos or just capturing people and helping them tell their story. And when they see that content for the first time and being able to show them how I see them and how I view their world and their superpowers and letting them sort of see that lens from someone else's eyes. And again, watching that twinkle kind of spark in their eye pop off, I think those two pieces are probably my most prolific elements of what I do.
0: But I can kind of feel your excitement and just the way you describe what you do and how you help people. Mm. Um, it's pretty evident that that you are jazzed about it. So you're also a dad, you know, you've got a single dad, right? So mm-hmm. you have two daughters, and obviously, you have a lot of demands on your time because you're running this business with so many different facets and client needs to meet. So how do you keep yourself from becoming overworked, um, from burning out? And how do you find time to you know, be with your daughters, which is really what life's about, right? As family and being with the people we care about.
1: I've been blessed with, for whatever reason, I've been blessed with the ability to do a lot of different things simultaneously. I, I'm going to just sort of go out on the limb and say that and pat myself on the back. But more than anything else, I'm very systematized and I've made a very diligent effort in systematizing what we do as a business from how I wake up in the morning and the habits that I've created and and how I start my day and how I end my day to how the people that I work with, my collaborators, my contractors, and my few employees, how we go about things and really operating in sort of code conjoined silos. And again, going back to the previous question is enabling the people to do what they do best and letting them do that so that I'm not meddling in their way. And then being systematized around all of those different tasks and duties and functions and working together as a team. We have regular scheduled meetings. We do not break those meetings. Every Monday, we have to have a team meeting and we have check-ins. And then throughout the week, we have small systems and procedures in place where we we have access to each other and we're talking regularly. But for me, probably the biggest thing is organizing my day. I have very specific days where I take meetings. I have very specific days where I do podcasts. I I host my own podcast. It's always every Monday. And I try not to deviate from that. I also try to shut down at certain times of, of the day so that I can spend time. I have to pick up one of my kids from carpool every day. So for me, it's like right around specific times of pockets of time I've allocated and organized so that I'm only doing very specific functions during those times. And I try not to deviate from that so that those habits sort of become long-term.
0: Do you have any either techniques or maybe software or gadgets or something that you've been finding really helpful lately?
1: Yeah, well, we're very technologically savvy over here. So, I mean, we sell technology for a living. So I hope we are. My CMS system is, is fantastically robust. I use uh, uh, so that enables me to manage all my clients, my intakes, my communications, my invoicing, all of that is all in one bucket. And I use HoneyBook. So just a shout out for them. Uh, I've been using them for years. It's a prolific system. And I love that. But yeah, we have a bunch of different systems and processes and procedures that are are technologically what I see typically with the typical entrepreneur, um, considerably more advanced in what we do in our processes and procedures. So that's very helpful as well.
0: So what's some of your favorite stuff to do in your free time? Because I think we all need to talk more, I think, as a society about hobbies and what you do for fun. What's interesting to me is when we meet people, especially at a business networking event, you know, the first question we ask is what do you do, right? It's all about finding people by what they do for a living and how they're spending those 8, 10, 12 hours a day. But I always find it more interesting to hear about what people do in their downtime. Like what do you do that you don't get paid for, that you make time for because you love it?
1: I travel the world. So I try to go somewhere roughly every three months outside of the USA. So that's a big deal for me. I read a lot. I probably read on average of one book every two weeks or so. I meditate and do yoga. I play on a men's soccer team. I spend a lot of time with my kids. They're both athletes in various sports. So I spend a lot of time at their respective adventures. I love to cook. Um, I do a lot of cooking and I've been told I'm quite good at it. Um, I really enjoy being in the kitchen. And also I also collect exotic plants. So I've got several, probably four to 500 different plants between outside and inside my house that I find in various parts of various parts. I'm just not going to say where I get them all because I don't know if that's allowed to say here, but I have parts, um, I collect exotic plants. So that's just some of the stuff I do.
0: Oh, how fun is that? Love it. Great array of hobbies, you know, especially travel, all these things that... um Collecting experiences is better in many ways than collecting objects. I don't know. The plants, though, to me is like an experience because that's not just an object. Plants, they change over time. They're unique, interesting. They're they're almost like these little, I have a family member that talks to plants, you know. So they're definitely not just an object. I think they're in their own category.
1: That's that's funny that you mentioned that because some plants cannot grow together in the same space. I actually had a an exotic. Uh, I actually had an exotic tree that I planted two years ago in the neighborhood of some other trees that were already well-established. And the tree didn't survive, the one that I planted. And when I uprooted it, I I noticed that the root structure had been basically strangled out. Like, I can't explain this because we're not visually here, but if you can imagine the root system of the tree, it was like somebody had gone underground and sliced all parts of the tree. So I actually called a a scientist that a friend of mine that I was in botany and He said, he told me that some trees, since all plants and and animals and stuff are in sort of like a communication grid, if you will, that underneath these trees did not like this plant because they knew that it would be an invasive plant and that it would rob nutrients and water from, from their existing domain. And so they actually set out to basically kill this tree because they didn't want it in its neighborhood. So offshoot story, but yeah, pretty phenomenal, right?
0: got homicidal trees
1: i know that's exactly what i said
0: and they got away with it
1: (laughs) yeah so it's a true story there's um there's there's actually a really brilliant show if you ever want to watch it it's called borealis uh it was it's produced in canada and it talks about these 10 scientists that spent i don't know 7 15 years in in the forest the borealis forest in canada and they talk about this very thing and how these trees they dominate the symbiosis of everything and they control what grows and what doesn't grow and the mating seasons of different things is phenomenal. I'm going off tangent, but yeah. So plants are phenomenal and I I, I love them because there's a lot of TLC that's involved in them and a lot of subtleties and nuances and figuring all that out and being very pragmatic about it is the key to their success. There's a lot of allegories there for, for everything.
0: I know, right? Well, I'm watching a new show on HBO called The Last of Us and it's, let's just say, it makes you a little paranoid about plants and growing things but but I like hearing this positive story you know about
1: plants and is that the one that on the fung- the fungus I believe is that what you're talking about
0: <laughs> yep the fungus yeah. among us is, yeah is it good
1: i heard about it someone told me it was really good is, do you agree
0: i agree yeah. i endorse it yeah so but you know it's not for everyone it's it's hmm. got its gory scenes and it's a horror show right the zombie show but i do enjoy it and i i don't think it's too slow paced but it might be a little slow paced for some people cuz in between the action it is kind of a It's funny because the main character, Pedro Pascal, he also plays the Mandalorian in the Mandalorian series. And there's some similarities in the characters he plays in both of these series, including how sometimes it can kind of be a slow pace, you know. But uh, yeah, so I, I recommend it. But back to your podcast. So there's people listening right now that want more Devo in their life, either by listening to your podcast or maybe reaching out about your company's services. What's the best place for that? What's the podcast called? And where should they go online if they want to find you?
1: Thank you for asking. My shameless plug around the podcast is it's called A Little Impolite. And we do a variety of different things on the podcast. But more importantly, we invite people like yourself, for example, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, small business owners who are doing fantastic things on the planet. And we have a brand storytelling conversation around what they're doing and how they're doing it and what impact they're making on the world. And we're on all the major networks, iTunes, Spotify. So if you just Google a little Impolite podcast, that's where you find it. If you are interested in some more Devo, thank you. You can find me, probably the best way to do that is on Instagram. I'm at Fusion Photog on Instagram, F-U-S-I-O-N, Photog, short for photography. And my website is FusionPhotographyStudio.com.
0: Well, Devo, as always, it's just great to talk to you. I can't wait to hear about your future adventures. I know you do a lot of travel and everything that you're always up to is a lot of fun. Thank you so much for being on the show, for inspiring people, motivating us to maybe promote our own brand and maybe a different light, maybe to seek help from a company like yours to help us tell our story better. And uh, just for overall being you. Thanks, Devo, Thank for being you. on the show today.
1: Thank you. I appreciate you having me. It's been an honor.